are in a sermon series, Overcoming Spiritual Burnout. Uh, I have prayed a lot about it and, and was really believing and still believe that this, this morning's message particularly is one that we all need when church takes more than it gives uh, because we all struggle with that balance and uh, we all struggle with the discouraging or disillusioning times of church. I'm going to be reading from 2 Corinthians, uh, the 11th chapter. The Apostle Paul uh, is under attack and he's, his credentials are being questioned. Church has become, as he deals with the Corinthians, a very painful and unpleasant experience for him. And uh, we can take some lessons from it and identify with him. And before I read that, I invite you to bow with me for prayer. Lord, we thank you that you are almighty, that Jesus, your son, is our blessed Savior who offers us that eternal hope. We praise you that the Holy Spirit is our eternal comfort and guide. And we praise you in all of your fullness, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And teach us to live lives of praise, to understand that our calling, our very vocation, is one of witness and praise. And that our lives will show that forth daily in every experience. And on this weekend, when as a nation we celebrate the life and legacy of Martin Luther King Jr., we do pray uh, for peace in our world, but we know that without justice there can be no peace. And so we pray for all of those who are struggling for justice. And we pray for sensitive hearts uh, that we might uh, find bigotry and hatred and suspicion uprooted out of our lives, that we might mirror the very love and uh, inclusion and grace of Jesus Christ in all of our relationships and all of our attitudes. And we pray for our nation and we pray for our world and we do pray for those serving in armed forces and uh, for those who make policy that you would guide the leaders of nations in the ways of peace. We pray today that you hear our call for renewal and refreshment as we honestly confess our sins and as we wait before you to refill us with your Holy Spirit, fill our lives with hope, help us to let loose of all of those false gods and help us to live in such a way that Jesus Christ becomes attractive to a lost and broken world, that Christ might come to be known and worshipped and obeyed because of our lifestyle and because of our words. Today, God, open our hearts uh, with sensitivity and, and, and awareness of how not to grow weary in well-doing and bless our work together as we deal with this text of your Holy Scripture. In your blessed name we pray, amen. 2 Corinthians 11, I'm going to begin reading in verse 22 and uh, I'll read through verse 30. If you're able, would you stand please as I read aloud God's word. Are they Hebrews? Paul asks, so am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they descendants of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I'm talking like a madman. I am a better one. With far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless floggings, and often near death. Five times I received from the Jews the forty lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I received a stoning. Three times I was shipwrecked. For a night and a day I was adrift at sea, 
on frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from bandits, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers and sisters, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, hungry and thirsty, often without food, cold and naked. And, besides other things, I am under daily pressure because of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak that I am not weak, and who is made to stumble, and I am not indignant? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. In 1632, the scientist Galileo published a book, wrote a book, uh, bringing a completely different attitude about the universe to people's awareness. He was building on Copernicus's theory uh, that the earth wasn't the center of the universe, that the sun was the center of the universe. And it caused such a storm of protest, such a storm of hatred and vitriol, that Eventually, Galileo was brought before the church court of his day. He was charged with heresy. He was forced in humility and humiliation to recant. They spared him the death penalty, which could have been imposed. He was sentenced to life imprisonment, cut off from all contact with other people. He lived another ten years after the imprisonment. He died blind and alone. I don't know about you, but do you ever get embarrassed at some things that are in the church's history and past? You know, it was 360 years later, in 1992, 360 years later, the church apologized and recognized it had made a mistake in the way it had treated Galileo. And it also makes you wonder what people might be saying about us in a hundred years and what we might be wrong about today that seems so clear. Church can be messy and messed up. And it's even more personal than that. You know, the... The mess-ups of the church are not always that high profile, you know, the big headlines. It's sometimes more like, uh, to use an analogy that would be apt today, tiny tiny snowflakes that stick together. You know, a little hurt here, a little slight there, bruised feelings, neglected by someone, or the numbing routine of church stuff. Or people whom we had on a pedestal disappoint us. Or just church becomes a chore. It's not the joy that it used to be. Just a lot of things that can go wrong at church. I remember when the uh, famous baseball strike of 1994 occurred. And just before it became apparent that the baseball season was going to end in mid-season. There was not going to be any playoffs. There wasn't going to be any World Series. Fans became irate. And uh, one of the last games played in that abbreviated 94 seasons, a fan in Yankee Stadium held up a sign that spoke for 
uh, baseball fans everywhere, and the sign read, the game is perfect, it's people who mess it up. And you could say the same about church. I love church, it's just people who mess it up. And we all feel that way at times. And I always get uh, a little amused when somebody is sitting down and telling me their story and they say, did you know that church can be disappointing? I go, no, I didn't know that. Let me write that down. How do you spell disappointment? I had no idea that church could be hurtful at times. Who would know better than a pastor? This is the world I swim in. Who would know better than the Apostle Paul? Man, he started all those churches. He got them going, breathing life into them, and then he'd go on and start another one. And and to give you a little background, we didn't have time to read it all, but he had such a contentious relationship with the Corinthians. They were just so abusive of him. He did probably more for them than he did for any church, but they they just ripped him. They, through the two letters that we have... We know that they accused him of being weak. They accused him of being intrusive, sticking his nose in where he had no business. They accused him of being cowardly. Uh, They accused him of being money-grubbing, that he was only in the ministry for the money. And if you really want to hurt a preacher, what they said about him that really, really stung, they said he could not preach his way out of a paper bag. They said his voice was weak and he had this embarrassingly uh, unpleasant physical countenance. We don't know uh, what that means, but he wasn't the bouffant hair, uh, you know, built like a linebacker kind of uh, attractive guy. And and he just had it up to here, the way they were treating him. And then you take up the reading in our 2 Corinthians 11 text and you see some more insight. He says in verse 23, uh, he speaks of imprisonments, plural, and floggings, plural. And the next verse is interesting, verse 24. Five times I received 40 lashes minus one. That's in the book of Deuteronomy. That's Jewish law. 40 lashes was considered enough to kill a person. So, you know, you gave 39. Uh, Or 39 in case you miscounted because you're not supposed to give 40. You know, whatever. That's Jewish law. And then the very next phrase he says, and three times I was beaten with rods. The rods uh, were a Roman imperial system of beatings. Paul received that once in Acts 16 with uh, Silas, remember, it singing at midnight and the earthquake. Rods would be tied together with some kind of strap and then the back of the prisoner would be beaten with these metal rods. So get this. He says, I've been beaten by my church and I've been beaten by the pagan government. The Jews. That was his church of the day. I've been beaten by church and I've been beaten by the pagans. Same difference. And then in verse 26 he says again, I was in danger from my own people. That means church people. And I was in danger from the Gentiles. That means outsiders, the non-believers. And he mentions false brothers and sisters in the same verse. And then on top of everything else, verse 28, he says, on top of all these physical maladies of hunger and nakedness and and, uh, shipwreck and almost drowning and almost dying, I have the 
emotional and spiritual load of the care of all the churches. And the word for care or anxiety is a word that means to pull apart or to distract in every direction. And he has all of this. And isn't that the part about church that hurts the worst? It's that we care so much. It's like our hearts there on a chopping block. It's, it's not like any other organization we're a part of because when we give to the Lord Jesus Christ and His church, we give physically and spiritually and emotionally and in most cases financially. And we're just there exposed and that's why it hurts so badly. And the other reason it hurts so badly is what Paul enumerated. And that is that you could handle this if it came from the outside world, but when it comes from church, it really hurts. St. Teresa of Avila once said, after spending 40 years with the saints, I can well understand why Jesus chose to spend his time with sinners. Think about that for a moment. Tough but true. So why did Paul keep at it? I mean, did he just enjoy abuse? <laughs> Why, why did he not just at some point say, you know what, I don't need this. I can get locked up by the Romans and get treated this way. I don't need this. Why did he not just walk away? Why did he stay with it? I think one of the keys is that Paul knew that the church was not a human construct. Church is not a human creation. It is divine. As messy and as messed up and as wrong and as, and as dysfunctional as we become at times, church is God's. And Paul called it mystical things like the very body of Christ. Wow. And in another place he calls it the bride of Christ. Ephesians 5. The church is, is Christ's bride. And he knew that as, as messed up as church could be, it's still God's. Robert Weber wrote a book that greatly influenced me several years ago. And I want to show you a quote from his own testimony. He's a theologian and a pastor. There came a time when I decided that I was either going to have to give up on all the church every part of it, or I was going to have to turn and embrace all of her, this glorious and notorious lady, the leprous bride of Christ, the bride who has leprosy. I was going to have to give up my heretical hope of having Christ without the church. You can't have Christ without some form of the church. And he said there just came this crossroads in his life where he had to decide... Am I just going to give up on the church altogether? Or am I, just, am I going to do the opposite and just be totally invested in her and just receive her as she is, my bride, the bride of Christ, but the leprous bride of Christ, the bride of Christ who has some warts, who has some flaws, but love her anyway. Philip Yancey in one of his books, has a similar comment. He says that 
he had to come to the place where he viewed the church the way he viewed his biological family. My parents made mistakes, but I love them. My siblings hurt me, but I love them. My children at times wounded me, but I love them. There are hurts, but they're my family and I love. And Yancey said that's the attitude that he finally had to take about the church. And wouldn't it be helpful if all of us dialed it back a little bit and took the church off of the pedestal and stop expecting from the church what it cannot give us, which is perfection. And just start having more realistic expectations about the church. Another thing that I notice about the Apostle Paul is that he learned to play hurt. You know, we're all disappointed at the Kansas City Chiefs game yesterday. They still had a wonderful season. Uh, sorry, I didn't mean to make you cry in the middle of the sermon. I shouldn't have brought that up. Or maybe you didn't know. You, you DVR'd it and now I've ruined it for you. But, um, you know, it, it amazes me that by this point in the season, at that professional football level, all the athletes are playing hurt. There are bruises and there are contusions and there are incredible aches and pains, but they play through that. They don't go to the coach and say, I got an owie. Can I sit down? I got an owie. And you know, sometimes I think we want to go to Jesus and say, you see what they did to me? I'm not minimizing the hurt. I'm just saying we all need to play hurt. Because if you read carefully the text that I read a moment ago from 2 Corinthians 11, if you read that again, and it is, it is absolutely brutal what the Apostle Paul endured. And yet he learned to play hurt. How did he do that? How did he do that? Well, the answer is, of course, Jesus Christ. His personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the only way he did it. By the way, every, nearly everybody knows, if you've studied the Bible very long, this famous verse, Jesus said, My grace is sufficient for thee. My strength is made perfect in weakness. You've seen that on plaques. You've seen that on quilts. My grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. A beautiful verse of Scripture. It was one of my verses one year. I, I adopt a verse of for memory every year. Several years ago it was mine. Most people know that's in the Bible. What most people don't know is that this very account of Paul's brutal experience with church is its context. The verse I just read to you, my grace is sufficient for you, is 2 Corinthians 12, 9. Just a few verses past Paul's description of his painful and disappointing experiences with church. How did he do it? He heard the voice of Jesus say, my grace is sufficient for you. Whatever you're going through, it's my grace that's sufficient for you. If you keep your eyes on human beings, sooner or later, they're going to disappoint you. I've disappointed you, you've disappointed me. 
If I haven't disappointed you yet, make an appointment and we'll schedule it. Because it's going to happen. People are going to disappoint us, but in Jesus there is no disappointment. In Jesus there simply is no disappointment. His grace is sufficient in every way. And so with the Apostle Paul, we learn some things. We learn, first of all, we need to talk about our disappointment with church. He's writing about it. He's venting. He's talking about his pain. We need to be able to have transparency and talk about it. And like the Apostle Paul, we, we need to recognize you can't have Christ unless you also have his bride, the church. The two go together. And like Paul, we need to learn to play hurt. And like Paul, we need to keep our eyes on Jesus. Keep our eyes on Jesus. Can we do that? Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your presence with us even on a snowy Sunday. Thank you for your grace that's always sufficient. Help us to be honest with you and to be good, seasoned, steadfast disciples. Thank you for your love.